Friday, it's 2024. Welcome back to the Information Revolution, a podcast for people interested in information, working with it. Um, my name is Michael Upton. Uh, I'm a consultant in Wellington, New Zealand, and a little company called Metataxis. And I'm Judy Verno. I'm an information architect, and I also work for that little company called Metataxis. And I'm Carl Melrose. I'm a consultant working out of South Australia. And who is our very special guest this morning? Hey everybody, I'm Liz Wilson. I'm an information architect from the world of information management. Uh, I've been working in private and public sector for <clears throat> years and I'm now working for a large financial institution here in New Zealand. So welcome Liz. Of course you and I know each other very well. <laughs> We've worked together for, for many, many years and I'm very well aware of how how much work and effort you've put into helping organisations to think about all the aspects of their information management, about um, managing it, but finding it and exploiting it, I think, really importantly. So I thought it would be really nice to get you on to have a talk about that, um, how you do approach managing the data side of it, the structured and unstructured, as some people like to call it, data and documents. So what your thoughts about that are, your thoughts, experiences, why you think it's important? Well, thanks, Judy. I'd have to say I, I do think it's important. Um, I'm not at the stage of thinking that it's possible. So uh, having, 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 come from the, uh, having come from the archives, records management, document management world, and Judy, that's when I met you working in information management and learned the fascinating world of taxonomy and information architecture many years ago. And I did see, thanks to probably the Freedom of Information Act in the UK, is that they really put a lot of effort into managing electronic information, thanks to the FOIA. But I have not seen the same effort applied in the data world, and the data world has just run on by itself, and I think they've left content, document, unstructured management behind. So uh, now that I'm working right now in a private sector where everything happens in the database, it's all data services, then all the effort around information management and information architecture goes into the data world. I, I might have asked our overseas uh, overlords who looked after the knowledge management side within the greater organisation and within New Zealand in particular, and, and they could not actually give me an answer. So the idea that um, that knowledge and records sits outside the operational data systems is quite odd to them. Everything is done, recorded, and then data is used and reused from the data that they collect with their customers. That seems to be, uh, well, I've certainly encountered that in, in other financial institutions. <laughs> so, yeah, a, a common occurrence. And uh, before I forget to lambaste our cousins in unstructured data, is that they haven't really we haven't really grasped the opportunities of automation and of uh, the ability to, without user input, to um, capture, describe, tag, and then retrieve documents. 
So we're still sort of sitting in the old paradigm of I put the document somewhere, I put the document in a structured place. It's good if I remember where I put it because search and the structured places don't support findability. I used to say, Judy, that interoperability would be the word put on my epitaph. Now I'm thinking of finding that to findability, largely because that probably fits rather than having to go around the, the back of a monument. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, document management has missed a trick and is continuing to miss the trick in being able to apply rules, uh, to being able to apply retention, to be able to apply sensitive policy, sensitivity policies. And I'm not quite sure if there we are ever going to recover from it. And, and if I can say one reason why I think this is the case is because when I'm talking to data stewards or data owners in the in the data world, they pretty much point me at exactly who that person is. Might be a mix of technical, might be a, mis, uh, a mix of system uh, and business owners. But if I'm looking at a corporate document management system and I say, hey, who's the responsible person for both maintaining and running the system who's based on the business side, i.e. who cares about the content as opposed to a records manager who just cares about the system. It's so thrown in together that you can't disentangle who's responsible for which part of the content system. Uh, every time I have tried to bring content managers into data governance or data stewardship type roles, they, they run a 1,000 miles and say, but we only care about the system, Liz. We're not responsible for the content. And when I go to the business and say, look, which part of the document management system is yours? They go, eh, eh, sorry, that's, that's Kiwi for I don't know and I don't particularly care. So I think the, the nice sort of constrained boundaries around databases is not shared by constrained boundaries easily managed inside document management systems. Thoughts, comments? I think you could just about mic drop there in some ways. Because, um, I mean, I, f I find exactly the same thing. I mean, I think ownership of documents and the and what they represent is a really, really hard thing. And, you know, I, I think the, the mature programs that I, that I, that I see in government um, and in private sector, you know, the thing they are running into is the, the, the fact that they can't go any further without either taking over, you know, the data side taking over the un unstructured data side, let's say structured data taking over the unstructured data side or vice versa. And one of the key problems that they are yet to resolve in general is ownership of the thing that, that they're dealing with. And data, the data side of the fence generally seems to have done a much better job of that. They seem to be much better organised in terms of they've resolved a whole bunch of those problems about the content ownership through some sort of stewardship program or, or something like that. And where there are issues with, you know, you, you've, you've got, uh, you've got a, a, a data creator and a data consumer or something like that, you know, where there are those kinds of issues, you know, the data side of the fence seem to have done a much better job of resolving those kinds of problems. Whereas I'm not seeing that on the document and, re or, you know, let's just call it the record side of the fence. I'm seeing lots of conflict there. And that's, you know, across many programs in many places. Yes, I must admit, one of the reasons I was keen to head back into the private sector for a while um, 
and into a heavily regulated industry is because every person who goes through the interminable onboarding training sessions knows that risk management and loss of customer trust and loss of regulator trust is, I won't say grounds for firing, but it's it's right up there. And that um, there's nothing that focuses the mind like um, losing money, making money, avoiding risk, incurring risk. And I must admit that when I'm looking at what are the business critical systems, then the content and document management systems are starting to be less and less business critical. Now, I think about organisations like government agencies, in particular the policy-type ministries, uh, who do a lot of in-depth research, policy thinking, collaboration around knowledge and policy creation. And I think content management is right up there, Ali. Uh, but in the organisation that I'm in, our our work gets managed in a system called Confluence, which you may know is essentially a, a, a knowledge base on steroids. Uh, and occasionally someone says, well, what about SharePoint? And people go, hmm, really? No, it's all in Confluence. Uh, and Teams, Teams and Confluence is our stuff, but everything else happens in the big data systems. Yeah, I've said that what my experience working with, uh, you know, in, in New Zealand, we make distinctions between ministries that are supposed to do policy and, and departments more sort of operational. That in the in in the world of sort of a, a government department, like we, we've already seen a similar shift. I think where you know the actual core records that relate to citizens' entitlements or obligations or you know put upon them are in data, you know, are in systems. Um, and I don't want to get into a curly bit about data sets versus, you know, line of business data system. But anyway, it's a, it's not a document-based, it's not a document-driven scenario, um, except where people are handling correspondence, I suppose. But even that's typically scanned and it, it's still presented. And we've gone on about this before, but it's just a different angle on it. It's, you know, it's presented in the context of... Um, supporting data and that supporting data is not metadata of documents it's it's data you know that describes a person or it describes a citizen or you know describes a um a thing i mean you know land or something you know property uh, objects um and and so you know um for, for those departments like um i i think the challenges in terms of managing uh, information and records are actually quite different to those that are mostly focused on the creation of of policy and you know and storing these vast volumes of research. Yeah. Um, and, and another thing I wonder about. I mean, another thing I've banged into over you know decades with kind of the concept of an EDRMS is that typically a line of business system is in it's in the name supports a line of business, and so those kinds of stewardship relationships with the content of the information and the outcome of the process that the system supports you know all that stuff's way clearer partly because of the scope whereas an EDRMS uh, typically existed to solve a problem of record keeping which was not aligned to um, a, a sort of a delivery thing or 
even what we might call core functions in a sort of functional classification versus the supporting functions. You know, like an EDRMS typically was not purchased to solve a problem that is, for instance, like, oh, we can't keep track of what members of the public said to us recently in relation to, you know, some legislated power we have. It's not that, right? And so I think that makes it really difficult because um, it would almost be preferable if from a business perspective, they each had their little system, but we were doing the lovely interoperability thing lurking in the background. And and I'm not talking from a technology perspective. I'm talking about ownership and understanding, oh, yeah, this is my stuff and I care about what's in it. Well, from a technology point of view, Mike, they do actually have their own technology solutions. Uh, a recent organisation I worked in uh, was involved in both a ServiceNow uh, internal service fulfilment and a Salesforce external relationship management projects. Why? And in both times, the, the supplier, the vendor, turned up and said, well, clearly you'll want to use the document repositories inside, I'll just choose Salesforce. Um, and our records manager had a conniption and said, no, 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 we've got a corporate document management system where we can apply business rules. Quick hint, they weren't applying the business rules, but they could. Um, and that is our corporate memory. And the Salesforce people just went, oh, whatever, whatever you like. Um, but even the big data systems are now designed to have places where unstructured documents can be attached to a structured record and said, well, Absolutely. Liz might have done this with her tax or banking or financial, uh, a loan application, let's say, and they yeah. will hold yeah. all the documentation yeah. that I supply to them, however I supply it, inside the banking system. They won't I mean, put the, it into a separate document management system at all. This has been one of the things that really, for me, about records management has just been completely illogical. The number of people that I talk to in records management who they just, you know, they and, and you know, I mean, I've probably done this myself, you know, aggregations are super important, you know, you've got to have a complete record, you know, it must all be in the same place. Oh, but no, no, we, we, we don't want to store documents in Salesforce with all of the case management information and the contact data and the correspondence notes and the contemporaneous notes and everything else that's happened on that case that they're working. Oh, no, we, we can't possibly do that. We, we need to separate those two things and put them somewhere else because we can't have a good aggregation in Salesforce. Like, what? <laughs> You know, you put you put the you put the document with the actual record of the things that that are that have happened with that person, and you have a complete record in context of everything that's gone yeah. on with that person. And it's one of the little bits of just complete illogicality. I mean, the comment you made earlier, Michael, about mm -hmm. uh, records management systems. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we've got to recognise what happened with records management systems. You know, we had custodial archive management or, you know, records repository management. And then we went non-custodial and electronic and we went, oh, well, naturally we need to manage the custody of these electronic things now. Not realising that, you know, and I mean, I think, you know, you go and look at continuum records management and, you know, I think this was Frank Upward and co trying to move the whole profession onwards from, you know, this very custodial paradigm into something else that, you know, was less custodial, that was more, to me, what we see out of the data side of organisations at the moment. You know, where everybody is using and reusing 
over and the data over and over and over for many, many purposes in many, many places. Um, you know, because ultimately, you know, what what it, what all of our organisations want is they want access to the speed and the, the the business gain that they can get out of being better informed. And you know, I, I actually think it's interesting. I just kind of squared a little circle that I've been nutting over while over the last couple of months. You know, Confluence and other wiki type services. Um, you know, they've just gone like this over the last couple of years. And I mean, what what is a wiki really? You know, a wiki is a collection of Word documents where you don't have to double click to open a document and then save the document and worry about where you're putting it and, you know, all of the crap that goes on with having to manage an object. I mean, I one of the things that I bang on a lot about on my blog is the content's the valuable thing and we treat the the container like it's the valuable thing. And I really think that that is probably going to be the death of records management. The death of records management it will, will happen if we can't get from container to content and start realising that it's the content that we need to be managing. You know that the problem of the problem of there is a business process that we're running and it needs three pieces of information to run effectively and they have to be at a certain level of quality to be effective. And, you know, absolutely improve the level of quality, we can improve the outcomes we get from the business process. But you know what, at the moment, though, those three bits of information that we need are on pages 7, 10 and 47 of a document that we get people to fill out. And you know what, if we just got those three bits of information and delivered them to the people who need them, we'd save ourselves many, many hours of time stuffing around with documents every week. And records management, I feel like has missed that because, and I think this is part of this custodial thing, you know, we still think that we're managing files, you know, we still think that's the thing that people care about when really what they actually care about is the outcome they can produce. And I really feel like the data management side of the of most organizations gets that. You know, that's why every every data practice is an analytics practice first. And then, you know, somebody comes along and realizes that, oh, hang on a minute, the drag we're starting to see on this program because we don't have any lineage on, on our on our data. So we don't actually understand whether we can use this for another purpose is starting to cause us more more drag than we're getting gain from the analytics practice, so we'd better do some data governance now. And, I mean, I think that sort of thing is actually the opportunity for records management because I think records managers, at least in theory, get that side of things much more, I think, than the, than the data management side of the fence does. But I still think, as you said, Liz, I still think we're dealing with this problem of content versus carrier you might call mm. it or content versus container of the content and i i i think there's a lot of i just i think there's a lot there to unpack i think i think you're abs- absolutely right and something that i've been banging on about well not banging on because people don't really want to talk <laughs> about it but really yeah i i so agree and in the practice of information architecture, you're really trying to architect the information. You know, you're not trying to architect, well, you're only trying to architect the container because it's a container, not for its own sake, as it were. So trying yeah, to get... get people to understand that it's it's something that's in that container that is the important bit that we need to join up with this bit over here in another container. What 
and and that's the that's the really exciting bit. And when Liz has always talked to me about um, joining up the structured and unstructured, that's the bit that's always got me really excited. You know, how how do I how do I take these analytics here and link them with this analysis or this report or whatever it is, so that if I'm looking for something on this subject, I can find all of that stuff regardless of where it is. I mean, your point, Carl, you'd hope it was all in the same place if it's about, you know, if it's to do with the same kind of business process. Yeah, I think the idea that the container is what we were using, and I speak as someone who joined the public service in 1987. Just as the democratization, my my first workplace still had uh, two typists with a golf ball typewriter was the most exciting thing that we had. And the the scarcity model, the proximity model, they all applied. What could I fit on my desk? What could I fit in my office? Don't think that I had my own office. Didn't. Um, what could the the organisation store in the in its own storage spot? And how much would have to go to offsite storage? Those were the things that records managers of whom I was one, uh, really cared about. Uh, but the other day I was on a Facebook page, don't ask, but it was about fantasy fiction. And someone was saying, you know what, listening to an audio book's not really reading, is it? And, of course, cue outrage and shock. And then someone had to say, but I love audio books. And I just wanted to pop it and say, look, you know what, hear where you're coming from, but it's the story that counts. It's the story that matters. It's the content. It's the data that matters. Um, I, I have a lot of books. Don't judge me. Well, please judge me. Thank you. <laughs> and, and incidentally, I was just going to say I have the paper book, the electronic version, and the and the audio book version of this. <laughs> exactly. It was just and, a perfect example because I've got them all. <laughs> yeah, and I must admit, I, I don't have, even though I did used to work in archives, I don't have a lot of um, time for people who go, oh, the smell of old paper. I'm going, that's not the paper, mat, that's the mould. Breathe it in, breathe it in. There's a doctor's appointment in your very near future. Um, so the antiquarians, the people who fetishise, if that's a real word, um, the object, I understand where they're coming from. I've got, I've got a globe of the world that's just like 100 years out of date, but I love it. But for most of us, it's the story, it's the content, it's the data. That's the thing that really matters to us. Now, I think records managers, to pick up your point, Carl, did miss a real trick when we democratised information production. The moment um, Office and Word and email, sorry, Word Perfect fans, uh, came into place and I could store, I could create, I didn't have to go to the typist with a handwritten thing and say, "Ah, can you turn this into something typed? Uh, The moment we democratised creation of content, records management in that old paradigm was (laughs) B-U-G-G-E-R-E-D. It was was a close run thing. Uh, And records managers did not step up to the plate when it came to dealing with electronic systems. We just let IT and technology run with, oh, you can create this, you can do the other, you can steer it anywhere you like, you can send it. No worries, you're all brilliant. And we just went, oh, you know, let's look after those containers. Oh, they're electronic containers now. Okay, well, look after those. And we did not, having been a records manager at the time, we did not go, where's our technology training? Where's our understanding? Where's our thought leadership? Thank goodness for the Australians, Carl, to be fair, when you guys ran with electronic records management and electronic archives. 
But that leadership, which which I've counted on many times over the last few decades, has not created a huge wave of proper information management of electronic records. Uh, it might have got so far. I, I do also think that um, when SharePoint came out and said, you know what, we've got three metadata fields, you download your document to somewhere, then you upload it into SharePoint, you've only got the three metadata fields as the default. And uh, Documentum and LiveLink and Hummingbird and all those big systems went, what do you mean? We've got beautifully configured 30 metadata fields that get populated automatically, almost automatically, and SharePoint just ran right past it and said, no, all that work that you guys had done on managing electronic information out the window. And if there's an organisation which is now moving from I mean, I, I know SharePoint has got more structured over time because records managers have been saying, please, please don't forget about us. Um, but uh, those big document repositories, may, maybe the big ones like law firms and, and research organisations might might maintain them because they are content and knowledge-based. But, uh, yes, I will pause now because even I've run out of things to talk about. Yeah, but I, I think you, I mean, I think you nailed it. And I think there's a, you know, when you when you started talking about, you know, the scarcity model, you know, that that's the thing that, you know, I mean, if ever there was a failure, I think it is to realise just what was going to happen when we make the creation of content easier. Because, you know, the, 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 the typist, I, I talk to old public servants, um, and I used to have a I used to have some that I caught. You know, I'd go to Canberra, you know, very early in the morning, and I'd I'd catch up with um, some old public servants down there. You know, and just just to try and understand records management. This was early on for me, and you know, they talk about rules of thumb that they used to have, like you know, one matter per document, and you know, those just simple things like that, and you know, one page per whatever it was, and it was all aimed at making sure that there was just enough of the right information and no more, you know, <clears throat> necessary and sufficient, you know, is that kind of idea that kept coming up. And that to me is the thing that we've sort of got to get back to. We've actually got to create some, if we want records management to become a thing that is useful in the world, again, I think we need to start creating some scarcity in our organisations, you know, what is the smallest amount of, of information that we need for this business process to go forward? How do we make sure that we capture that? What's the appropriate place to do it? And how mm. do we make sure that it's evidence grade? Mm. You know, it's one of these strange things Absolutely. that, you know, you go and look at ISO 15489 and yes, my section, my favourite section that I refer to regularly, section seven appraisal, um, which, you know, didn't, didn't exist in the previous section of the standard, but, it's the, this is one of the things that's strange to me. You know, people keep crying out for leadership in records management, and you know, what do we do, and how can we get our power back? And you know, we've got this standard out there that basically says you've got to manage business risk using records, and that means you've got to appraise the processes up front, and you've got to figure out what the business risks are, and then you've got to work out how to manage them using records. You know, techniques. And the number one technique in record is, well, I've got something in my head at the moment. What's the thing that I need to record in order to make sure that that doesn't become a problem in the future? And 
I don't think we've embraced that really simple idea. We still think that we can manage business risks by, oh, those people created a document. Quick, let's go and get it and, and, and you know, and, and put it somewhere over here in a system where nobody will ever be able to find it again because, you know, we're going to put it in a functional classification and functional classification confuses the bejesus out of people. Um, for, for my sins, I... I um, I'm a Rimper ambassador, and you know, part of a Rimper ambassador pro thing is that you 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 get to essentially put up little projects and see if other people will do them with you. And say, so, you know, I did one last year on executive engagement, which is just teaching people to engage with executives, and we're going to do that again this year. But one of the other ones that I just put up and that we'll move forward with is I'm calling it a practice based evidence stream, and essentially what we're going to go and do is look at current practices in records and and look at the evidence as to whether they produce good results in the organisations that um, we work in. First cab off the rank is functional classification because I think functional classification confuses everyone and is counter to all of the objectives that we want because no one can find anything in it. I hope I'm wrong. You know, I mean, ideally I go out and we do a research project and I get proven wrong, but we've got a set of practices like that that forget that, you know, the right piece of information, the right place, the right time, right level of quality, you know, that's what records is supposed to be about. That's what the whole point of keeping a record is all about. We seem to, actually, I, th I mean, I think half the problem is in that idea of keeping records. You know, if you go to the, if you go to the public record office of Victoria website and you go and look at their glossary, you'll find that record keeping, the, 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 the glossary entry for record keeping says, see records management. And I actually think that a lot of our problem is in there because, you know, the act of keeping a record for me is saying, right, I've got this thing in my head. I want to keep a record of it before I forget it. So what's the thing that I record? How much? Where? What are all the choices I've got to make? And I, the, the funny thing about data management for me is that I see data people being really focused in on that decision. You know, you cannot build a business system without sitting down first and saying, right, what are exactly the things that people need in order to make the decisions they have to make every day? Because we've got to put a cell on a page to do that, and that's an expensive thing to do. And it's actually funny. I, I the more I look at the more I look at data management these days and system building and IT, the more I actually see the, the what I th always thought should be the core of records management. And as you say, Liz, I should stop. I'm going to stop there because I feel like I've got this. Okay, I'm just going to jump in and say. Uh, one of the things I loved about records management, oh, that's very past tense, is lifecycle management, record keeping and lifecycle management. And and imagine my, I'll say horror, when turning up to a financial institution, but it's not just them, that lifecycle management to, to data people means essentially the process of uh, capturing information through sort of the fulfilment of the business that it was created for. And you think, Okay, but what about the non-current part of the life cycle? And they go, oh, eh, non-current, you say? What's that? So um, I work in an organisation, which is not untypical of the industry that it's in, where they're still using some hundreds of data systems that have their genesis over the last three or four decades. And I can tell you something I've learned about high-risk and um, highly regulated industries. We never throw anything out. We're still using systems that had business logic and technology from 30 or 40 years ago. 
So we've got a big opportunity, and I think cloud is going to be our our opportunity is to not just move systems as they are into a new environment, but actually to say, hey, you know what, let's put some modern data management practices in place. Let's make sure that we uh, don't just look at our data systems, uh, our data sets to understand what our world is. Judy, that's something I learned from you very much is that you just can't look at your data to say, and here's the things that we care about. Because those that data uh, is the classic. You know, if we keep doing what we've always done, we'll keep getting what we always got. I paraphrase. Um, so one of my jobs in my new organization is to build the opportunity for data engineers, business analysts, solution architects to actually re-engage with the business to say, look, I appreciate the world's probably changed since we built this system 25 years ago. So let's just not translate it into a new world. Let's actually revisit your assumptions. Let's revisit how you engage with your customers. And the world of self-service is about to catch us up for certain types of, I'll say, inter B2B, business-to-business type activity. Is that instead of taking 14 days to approve a request from a client, We want to do that in an automated way inside a day. And what that means is that all the business rules and business logic that used to be done by, let's say, a lending manager, now now has to be done, now has to be built in to the system which the business client puts their data into. And I can assure you I am shitting bricks at trying to find what those old business rules are. Were they built into the old system? The people who built the old system, gone, long gone. Uh, are they stored somewhere in a knowledge base? You know, a, a how to do something document or a classic knowledge base. Design document, yep. The people who built those, also gone. Uh, the people who really know from our side the in-depth design of the old system, also gone. I mean, it's 25 years old. Well, actually, probably more. Uh, So how do we actually make the transition from an old, undocumented, of course it's undocumented, uh, legacy system into a new world without empowering our analysts, I'll use that term generally, to actually engage with people. So uh, like you, Carl, with the executive engagement, I've got a mandate over the next uh, year or so to actually say, was actually business engagement. Analysts, document uh, data managers, data engineers have to be able to talk to real people to, to build their conceptual models, their data models, to be able to really understand what's going on because otherwise we will just translate a 35-year-old system into the cloud and we yeah. won't be able to do self-service. And God forbid our profit margins should suffer. It's it's going back to basics. It's as what you're both saying, really. It's understanding what the information actually is, what that bit is that that person needs to do their job at that moment. But where is that dialogue in information and records management? Because I can't find it. And when I, when I start to say that that should be records and information management's responsibility in blog posts and those kinds of things, I mean, I get shouted at, you know, that, that, that's the business's job. And, you know, when, when I, when I, and when I run 
I ran a problem solving workshop at an event last year and you know the the goal was to get to the 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 big problems that people had in in information records management in their organization and then to to get to some solutions and but the thing I also did was I got people to stack rank the uh, big brainstorming exercise, but stack rank the the problems and then stack rank the solutions to them and then stack rank the solutions based on the ones that scared them the most. And the two solutions to uh, culture and attitudes to records management systems were um, manage in place records management and business focused records management, uh, business process outcome focused records management. And the two things that scared people the most were manage in place and business process outcome focused records management. And I, I don't, I, I just like, it just didn't compute for, I had to really just stop at the, on the, on the day at the event and say, okay, and kind of move on because I just, I couldn't even understand how we as a professional group had got so far mm-hmm. from our organisations that we couldn't see that the whole reason we were there was to solve business problems for our organisation. And, you know, how has records management and information management got so far from itself that it can't see that is what it's there for anymore? And I, if I just, I, it just, it's, it's had me just confused for a year. It really has. And I've actually gone back in the in the interim and started to look at the history of some of the archival institutions that we've got because I've been trying to figure out, you know, is this this is just, you know, archival thinking and where it's come from. And the the, the irony of all this stuff is that, you know, everybody want everybody everyone, lots of people who work in records management really focus down on these ideas about historic value and the, you know, the memory of the nation and those kinds of things. And then I go back and I read, you know, the Public Records Office in Victoria has a fantastic document about the history of the, the archive, how it actually started. And you go back to about 1915 to 1930, and there are a series of problems where a government agency was found to have never destroyed anything in its life, in, in its existence, and they were using masses of office space in the CBD to store records. And then you go to, and you know, there are there are some instances there where um, another another agency was found to have destroyed some things that that really it should have still still be hanging on to. But then you go to South Australia and you see the same pattern. You know, you see, um, I forget which department it was, but this department was criticised because of the amount of expenditure on valuable office space in the CBD to store records and. You go and you go and you actually find that yes, there's a there's a sort of historical angle to this, but these agencies, you know, they they founded a lot of these archives because they're actually trying to solve very practical problems of we've got masses of office space being taken up by and that is expensive being taken up by records, and I just I can't see and you know if you look at the history of records. You know, this idea that we need to record things because our memories are fungible and, and you know, we we will forget things or we need someone else to know things, something, so we need to make a record of it. And I look at the the practice that we have now and I, I just, we've, we've, we've become an impractical discipline and I, I cannot figure out how we how we got here. That must be the real um, trick for when you're talking to records managers about engaging with executives is how can records management in its current state make itself relevant 
and useful. Michael, you're probably a little bit young to remember the Caltex Tower in Wellington. A government department moved into level 11 or level 10 and found that the building was not rated for the amount of paper they wanted to store on it. Cue hilarity. Wait. Yeah. Well, you want to cue some more hilarity. Um, there was a new hospital built in a certain state of Australia um, and they found exactly the same thing. They wanted to move their records, and this is within the last 10 years. Yeah, They wanted just... to put their records in there and found that the floor load, the floor rating in the new hospital was not sufficient to store the records that the old hospital was storing. I've just moved into a new uh, new job with this financial institution, fancy building in Auckland, 25 floors or so. Every floor that I visit that belongs to my organisation, there's the, there's the mail, you know, not room, there's a rail bank for each floor, there's a photocopier and a printer, just one, just one per floor. Boy, those days are just like hit us in a, in a flash. And there are a little five, six, seven bay movable storage for, you know, paper, you know, filing stuff, completely empty, never been used, never been used, so beautiful. And I keep wanting to say, well, why don't we just put some lockers in there so I can have a locker on the same floor I work on? My storage of my, you know, my handbag and my my um, keep cup is actually more important to me than paper storage, and there is no paper storage at my organisation. So how is a records manager who's got one foot half in the storage of paper or paper equivalents in the electronic world going to say to their chief executives or executive suite, it's worth putting effort into this paradigm that we can't really prove our value to you. We're running on ideas that are not just 30 years old, but are 40 years old plus and have no discernible business value to you whatsoever. Uh, so kudos to you, Carl, for geeing up some poor records managers to go and engage with their executives to try and demonstrate or try and prove something that our entire profession seems to have turned its back on. But, I mean, it's the problem, isn't it? It's, you know, relevance to the the, the business problems of the day. We have seen, I mean, like, no, they're absolutely the exceptions, but, we, you know, there are organisations, like there's a local government authority in South Australia where, um, you know, they're putting business process mapping into their records team as, you know, as something that, you know, the, the management there drove as and went, yeah, hey, this is a really cool part of what we need to do because how can you deliver on all the things we've been talking about if you can't understand the business in that way? Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of well-meaning people talking about functions and so forth, you know, part of that. I mean, it's it's a framework for analysing a business. It's understanding what's going on. Mm. And certainly in terms of foisting that on the end user as their only way of filing things might be a different conversation. But, <laughs> you know, but, but the there's there's still something there yeah i yeah. guess I'm, I'm just trying to be slightly um slightly optimistic for now that um you know there's still something there in, in terms of the skills that people have that is about understanding those needs is about it could really be about sort of business analysis from a sort of um information first perspective because i mean i'm sure we've all encountered bas who sort of miss that from the equation and don't talk about the requirements associated with managing a life cycle or even just making sure information is reliably available yeah but also again judy before we finish i just want to again 
thank you for the time that I met you. I was ready to make the move out of old school records and information management. I didn't even know that publishing really existed. I didn't know really what a taxonomy was. And I have, I won't say parlayed those into a whole new career, but I have found that the data world is actually starting to really want the stuff that we've been just talking about today. Technical people, business analysts, data analysts who are told to go and understand the business. Though to be fair, when I worked for another large corporate in Auckland quite a few years ago now, well, back in 2014, and I was talking with the, the, the IT guys, mostly guys, and I'd say, well, they'd say, well, we, Liz, we don't know what the business wants. And the business haven't told us what we, they want, which is why we've not done anything. And at some point, someone around the table would say, well, have you gone and talked to the business? And they'd go, no, no. <laughs> what do you mean talk to the business? And I think the idea that data people need to get closer to the business I think is true for records people as well, is that I've seen so many records management teams in government, but not just government, where they sit on their own floor, they talk to themselves, they manage their own stuff. And when you say, go out and review the tagging terms for this record set, go out and talk about the lifecycle management. First, you have to understand what lifecycle management is. Go and talk about can they find stuff and what's retrievability and findability like. And they just faint. They just faint with horror. Um, and, and I think that inward lookingness is is one of the reasons. Feeling us. And, and let me let me just say as well that the whole point of my executive engagement program is that records practice is valuable when it's used with something that someone values. You know, if I, I can summarize it 47 different ways, but pretty much the, the, the thrust of the, the executive engagement program is get out of your own way. You can, you can do damage if you try and yeah. engage with people on things they don't care about. Mm. And mm. how do you find out mm. what they care about? We go and ask them. What are your top three to five priorities over the next 12 to 18 months? Great. Here's how we can line records practice up to help you achieve those things. That's kind of, you know, the thrust of executive engagement in a nutshell for us. So thanks very much for coming in, Liz. And um, we will definitely pick this one up again. Um, thanks all who are listening and love to hear your reckons on what we've been discussing today. Um, and otherwise, yeah, thanks very much. And we'll catch you again. Cheers. You yes, time. send flames my way. <laughs> Bye.